everybody. Good to see everybody. Ah, it's good to be at the family room of the rock and hear all the kids running. It's good for the teachers to be back there and us to be up here. Thank you, Jesus, for an awesome time of worship. What a great time. That was a lot of fun. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes church can get a little stuffy, and uh, it's, good to, it's good to bust out some songs like that once in a while. Welcome to the family room of The Rock. Anybody that's visiting, I just want to welcome you. As this is, we're, You're going to be treated like family this morning. We will hold no punches. We will withhold no hugs. We'll treat you like family this morning. Thank you to everybody that uh, participates in putting this on. This isn't a show, but there is a lot of a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, sound and lyrics and people getting here early to get stuff set up and cleaned up and organized, teachers, nursery people. There's so much that goes into making this happen, so thank you. If you see somebody this morning that you know is a part of all that, reach out to them and tell them thank you. Because without them serving and participating, we would not have the opportunities that we have to gather here this morning. So we've been talking about looking unto Jesus for several weeks now, for several years in great principle, but we've been talking about looking specifically unto Jesus in our lives, not just, not just reading the Bible and looking for us, looking for the thing that's, if we try harder to do this, we'll get this net result. The instructions for us, there's instructions in scripture, but we've really been looking uh, lately about the concept of beholding. To become Jesus conscious as opposed to self-conscious. We talked several weeks ago about when we look at a picture, the first thing we look for is us. You see a snapshot of VBS, The Rock, 2015, and if you're a kid that was here then, you look for you. Where am I at in that? And that's just our human nature. That's not, that wasn't, we didn't talk about that to bring condemnation. It's just a reality, and sometimes you have to be real about where we are to see where we can head. We talked about being spiritually minded instead of carnally minded. This is the big picture of what we're looking at is to become aware of Jesus in Scripture. We looked, the very first instance that we looked at was uh, the fall of man and how there's a type, there's a shadow. We begin to see the outline. We don't see all the details, but we see the outline of what God's plan of redemption looks like. We looked, there was bloodshed on behalf of Adam and Eve to cover over their nakedness. And there's, it's just an outline, it's just a shadow, it's not an exact representation. We don't see, as the author of Hebrews tells us, the exact representation of the Father's heart doesn't come until Jesus. It's just a whole bunch of shapes and outlines. We begin to see, we can hear the footsteps. I love the picture of, and you can see it, you know, no one can see the ground in front of me right now, but the idea of a shadow approaching. From a corner, you start, you see just a little bit. You just see a head, and then as it gets closer, you can hear footsteps, and you begin to make out features. And as it began to be closer to the Messiah's arrival, details began to surface in Scripture. We got to where we can see more clearly each prophet that prophesied the coming Messiah prophesied detail. And we began to see features of this Messiah, where he would come from, what he would look like, 
how redemption would take place. And it was in prophetic form. And that's why I think a lot of times people struggle. Like, well, I don't know if that's a prophecy about Jesus. Why? Because it doesn't say Jesus born from Mary is coming to be born in Bethlehem. It's bits and pieces of that. It's a prophetic. The prophetic that was operating in the Old Testament was, it was a foretelling of things and events, people that were going to come. But you put all of those things together, the fullness of time, and the Messiah was born. It's amazing. And as we look back at Scripture, and as we look for the Messiah in Scripture, and I don't want anyone here to think that when I teach through a passage or we observe, we look through, we detail a passage, that it's exhaustive. I am not an exhaustive teacher. The Holy Spirit's the one that will teach you. I want to show examples. It's my heart to show us examples of looking for the Messiah, looking for the plan of salvation, for redemption in Scripture for one purpose. And this is sometimes lost on us a little bit. You might think, well, if everybody in here is born again, why are we talking about the gospel? Because my job, our job as leaders of this particular portion of the body is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And as we make much of Jesus, we make much of the Messiah and the story of salvation. And make no mistake, it is a story and it spans thousands of years. And as we make much of that, we become rooted and grounded, stronger and stronger, more established in that gospel truth. You say, well, for what purpose? If we're born again, why do we need to become established in it? Because our commission here is to make disciples. Our job on this earth, while we're still here, is to go. We, there's much of Christianity today has turned that, and it's like, Lord, wouldn't it be easier if it was a commission of come? Let's try that one. And we make these big things about coming, and we're trying to lure people in, Instead of going out, and when we go out, the more confident we are in our Savior, the more comfortable we are articulating the details of the gospel from any point in Scripture, the easier it is for us to share, for us to show, for us to testify or bear witness of those things in our lives. And the reality is, we talked about this a little bit, I think it was last week, that If we're not confident of our Savior, we're never going to carry him to anybody. It's just not going to happen. If you don't, and I'm not really sure if this Jesus is real and if, you know, I don't know, I guess I'll see. And I've I've interacted with many people in my life that have had this perspective of like, I don't know, like I believed in Jesus, I'm not real sure about it, so I'm not going to go tell anybody else about it. Because I'm good. As long as I get to heaven, I'm good. And what that ultimately stems from is doubt. If we're really sure about this Messiah, about this Jesus, the Christ, the Savior of all the world, the Lamb of God who takes away all the sin of the world, if we're really, really sure about that, we can't help but share it. It's like, it becomes, it just happens. It's like, and we've talked about this a lot um, here, I've shared this metaphor. I love the picture of a child at a potluck getting Hawaiian punch. And there's very little in the cup. Depending on the age of the child, by the time they reach their seat, there's Hawaiian punch on everyone, everyone they've bumped into, all over them. It becomes, that's how the gospel comes out of us. The more sure we get, it's just, 
you know, I wasn't trying to spill this on everyone, but it just happens. Not saying that there's no intention behind it, that we plan that we plan to speak things, but I do believe that the most the most authentic and the most effective sharing of the gospel is organic. The word of God has layers. There's layers of application. There's only one interpretation, but there are many applications. And again, I don't pretend to share exhaustive applications from any certain scripture. But it's my heart that as we learn to look for Jesus, to grow in Jesus' consciousness, develop an acute awareness of the gospel, that we will become more and more comfortable believing God. Therefore, we'll become more and more comfortable sharing this gospel with those around us. This gathering this morning, we're all here together in a building. We sing songs. We're going to look at some scripture, and we're going to go from this place. This is not about checking a box or joining a club. It's not fire insurance. We're gathered together this morning with the express purpose of worshiping Jesus, making much of the Messiah to become more equipped to do the work of the ministry to help strengthen each other, to build each other up in Christ, and to remind each other who we are in Christ. Bow with me if you would. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity that we have today, that we can open your word and that we can see more of Jesus. We can be reminded this morning of this new covenant of which we are partakers in, we're co-heirs with Christ. Father, I thank you so much for the redemptive work of Jesus, for the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for your love for us. So great a love. We don't even have words. We use words, but Lord, we don't even, our English language, any language, it, it pales in comparison to the love, to, to try to describe your love for us, that you would send your son to pay for something that he didn't owe, to redeem us, to bring us back to relationship with you. Father, I just pray that your heart is revealed this morning. As we seek you, we find you. Thank you that your spirit came with us, that in the midst of two or three, you are here. We're gathered in the name of Jesus this morning, and it's in his name we pray, amen. If you've got your Bibles, you want to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read just a small chunk of verses there, verses 8 through 12. Um, and some of this, you know, the enemy, he's, he's kind of sneaky in the way that he, and sometimes it's the enemy, sometimes it's just our natural minds. But the things that the enemy throws, like, well, I don't know, you already kind of preached some of this stuff. And you get wound, wrapped, my dad always used to use the phrase, wrapped around the axle. I get wrapped around the axle of this and twist it up and I don't know. And, it, and then the Holy Spirit kind of cuts through and he's like, this is all there is. This is it. The gospel is it. And I don't mean that to diminish the gospel like, well, this is it. I'm saying, this is it. The righteousness of God created in Christ Jesus presented for free, for the cost of believing to us, this is it. Everything comes through. There is nothing that is not part of this gospel. And I love, this is taking a little out of order here, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna touch on this and come back to it. I had an opportunity this week to uh, meet with an individual. We were talking about believing God and seeing things and believing God and seeing things. You know, we talk about this here all the time. For 
if you're in the doors of the rock, this is something where usually it's not weird to have a conversation about receiving something from God and then seeing it manifest. There are places in this world that that's a weird conversation. It's not here. But we were having this conversation about receiving things from God and believing, and he was like, what's the point of this faith thing? Like, this gap, because I shared with him what the longest distance sometimes that we walk in this life is between believing and manifestation and seeing something. When we get that belief, we get that word from God and we believe, we take him at his word. And then, for instance, with regards to seeing Jesus face to face, we believe the moment that we believe we're born again, but we live our whole rest of our lives before we see him face to face. It's a, there's a passage of time. And he was, we got this discussion going about it, and I said, well, think about it like this. The Lord doesn't want a slave, a servant, a machine. He wants a high form of relationship. And what's the highest form of relationship? The highest form of relationship is believing someone. You say, I don't know, that's a stretch. Let me help you with it. We'll, we'll use fidelity as an example. So if you're concerned with the fidelity of your spouse and you think, I'm not sure if they're being faithful or not, the lowest form of this is we must spend 24 hours a day together. Because in that situation, we've, we confirm at the end of 24 hours, we've been faithful Oh, we might not be faithful up here or whatever, but like we physically, that faithfulness. Now, that relationship grows in a little bit of time. You can be away from each other for a little while and trust one another. Maybe this is an uncomfortable metaphor, but just think through it. The highest form of relationship when you see marriages operating in optimum belief and trust is when they can be apart for the whole day or a week and operate in fidelity, not quest. I don't know, I'm not sure. I trust my spouse. It's a high form of relationship. That's, the father desires a high form of relationship to believe someone or a simple thing. If, if I, my wife tells me, I'll have supper at six on Monday and I leave the job at 5.30 and I'm like, she said she'd have supper at six, but I'm hungry and what if she doesn't? Now, this has periodically happened, but it's usually like 6.15 that we get there. It's not, I'm not ragging on, it's like once in a while. And so if I have this thought, like, I don't know, it's 5.30 and I'm really hungry, what if it's 7 before it's actually ready? And so I just stop and I bring pizza home. It's fine. Melinda's super gracious. It's like, okay, well, you know, I made this really nice meal. It was ready at 6. Tell you what, we'll just put it in the fridge. We'll have it for leftovers tomorrow. Okay, good, because I just brought this pizza home. Now, the next day, and the next day, and the next day, the same set of circumstances plays out. Like, we're fine, but we're not good. Because at some point, I have to start taking her word that she is going to provide a meal at 6 o'clock and take it to the degree that I don't make other arrangements. I trust her I'm, you know what? I'm not going to make other arrangements. I'm not going to stop and get a sub sandwich and just throw it in the fridge in the shop. And that way, if she's not ready, I could just go out and eat that. that. It may look like I'm believing her, but do you see what I'm saying? There's this higher form of trusting, believing, taking her at her word. 
And this is what we got into this discussion this week. It's like there is a, there is a part of this relationship with God that is believing, taking him at his word, not making other arrangements, and just trusting him. Just trusting him. And this is what we're going to look at this morning. So if you got your Bibles, open Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read verses 8 through 12. Picking up in verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. What amazing faith. I should have planned some music to play behind this. This man is amazing. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelled in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. What amazing faith this woman is walking in. She bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. What amazing faith. That is amazing. There, does anybody see any doubt? We read through there, it's just, Abraham obeyed when he was called. He went out, which takes faith. He dwelled in the land of promise. Then he had these kids of promise. It was just, it looks like what we see in Hebrews chapter 11 is this amazing testimony of a believing believer who believed God and did not doubt. And I love this story, especially this version this is awesome. And I want to share something with you. This isn't all the whole story. This is not. If you're here and you're like, I'm not real sure. Maybe, is that the whole story? It's not. And there's no condemnation and not like, I'm not sure what the rest of the details are. It wasn't. This is all part of the story. But this is not all the details. There's a whole bunch of commas and spaces and periods and exclamation points and all sorts of stuff in between these details. Now, the book of Hebrews was written on our side of the cross. This is on our side of the cross. So it, if you go back through history, it's us, and then a whole bunch of human history, the book of Hebrews, and then you get to the cross, and then you keep going, and you get to Abraham and Sarah. So this is on our side of Jesus. When the story of Abraham is told on our side of the cross, what all is lost Amen. Doubt, unbelief, it doesn't pass through the lens of the cross. What comes through the cross, this is nuts. I love this picture, everybody. I'm wound a little. The natural junk is lost. All that made it past the cross was the by faith parts of Abraham's story. Abraham's natural life, If you're, we're going to look at some details, but I just want to read this. His natural life story was one of faith and doubt. Moments of believing God followed by moments of doubt and questions that led to misbehavior, unbelief. But when his story is filtered through the cross, we get by faith Abraham and by faith Sarah. Thank you, Jesus. 
Do you realize that as a believer today, when you meet the Lord, do you know what your life is filtered through? The same cross. It's the same cross that the story of Abraham and Sarah filters through that and we get by faith. And we know the natural story. And it's like, is this a discrepancy? No, this isn't a discrepancy. This is an example of how the cross works. Hebrews 11 is a faith chapter, but I want to I explain. It's also a righteousness chapter. For it is by faith that was accounted to Abraham as righteousness. It was his believing God that was counted that was accounted. The word there, it's like an accounting word. It's like we added faith in there. We put it to the righteousness account. My wife is laughing that I use, and Tammy's laughing also, that I use an accounting, even just the word accounting. That's just pretty entertaining. But it was, it was counted on Abraham's behalf as righteousness. Now, we're going to go back, and I want to look through just a few little things here. Genesis chapter 12, verse 7 reads... So, everyone's just a little backstory. This is a fun little detail. I, I did all the math on this. I did it a few times, and maybe I missed something. But you know that Abraham was alive the same time that Shem was. Isn't that crazy? Shem was Noah's kid on the ark. He comes off, and because of how long they lived, Abraham lived at the same time. I don't know if they were buds, but they lived at the same time. That's amazing to me. Not relevant to anything we're talking about, but amazing. I love that detail. So, so Abraham was called out of Ur. So it says in verse 31 of, he, of Genesis chapter 11, And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, Haran had passed away, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. They came to Haran, and they dwelt there. Never made it to Canaan. They dwelt in Haran. The days of Terah were 205 years. Terah died in Haran. Verse 1 of Genesis chapter 12 starts here. Now the Lord God said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 4, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. He was not a young pup, although younger in comparison than what 75 would seem to us today. And he departed, 75 Got this promise? I will make your name great. I will make you a great nation. The way nations were built then was having children. This is awesome. Verse 7 of chapter 12, we read, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there Abram built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is, a, this is just a fun story to read. You read through this, it's like God gave him this promise. That's amazing. Let's back up just a second. Genesis chapter 11, verse 30. Well, verse 29. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. 
Verse 30, that Sarah was barren. She had no child. Verse 7 of Genesis 12, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants. Now, if you're Abram, we read this, again, from this side of the cross, but also from this side of the story. We understand God's going to provide children. But at that point, would you not have a little, like, Lord, you realize who I'm married to. This is not looking good for descendants. We've moved. I've left. I believed you. I have no children. There are no descendants. These descendants of which you speak, I have none. You understand, like, we reread it from this other side of it, but stop and think. It's like, well, but you know what? Abram was believing God, and we trusted him. 75 years old, we're going to have kids, because God said we would. Chapter 12, verse 7, he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. He chose to worship God in that moment. Now, I have to believe that as a, as a human, and you know, guys know I enjoy getting into the stories, like putting myself in there and thinking, would I build an altar? Would I build it with pure motives? Or would I build the altar like, Lord, you see this? I'm worshiping you. You better be good for this. Or would I build it with a pure heart and a pure motive saying, Lord, I trust you. I believe you. After Lot and Abram separate, we're not going to go into all the details of that, God revisits his promise to Abram with some pretty crazy enhancements in Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 18. Pick up in verse 14, and the Lord God said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, north, south, east, and west. For all the land which you see, I will give you and your descendants forever. <clears throat> we still have no children for Abram at this point, everybody. There's no, we have no descendants. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved. He moved his tent, went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. I paused at that third word of verse 18. Then Abram moved. The Lord God said, go, arise, walk, and Abram moved. I love this little glimpse into, this is, we see, if you look in here, you see little bits and pieces of Abram's choice to believe. It, it wasn't perfect. We'll see this. We've seen some of it already. We'll see more of it. It wasn't perfect, but he chose to move. Arise, go. Now, if we were Abram at this point, he's, God is not walking his promise back. Now, God and Abraham have, or Abram have this unique relationship of conversation. So do we. We have this unique relationship of conversation. Abram, at this point, receives another word from God. God doubles down on his promise. And at this point, as a believer, as a person is trusting God, would it be that ridiculous to say, Lord, <clears throat> you keep talking about these descendants. I have none. Is this something that we could, like, it would make, just hear me out, church, would it make believing God easier if at least she was pregnant? Like, we're going to have kids. We still have no kids. Tell you what, Lord, I will build an, build an altar and I will worship you when I see. 
When I see it, we're going to sit right here, and then once she's pregnant, and, we're, and I see this promise that you keep going on about, now it's not just we're going to have descendants and there's at some point going to be a nation. Now it's the dust of the, the sand of the seashore. The du- like, this is a lot. We're not talking about a couple kids and we have none and she's not pregnant. We'll make a deal. When, you, when I see some signs that you're moving on my behalf, that you're going to keep your word, we'll build an altar, we'll worship you, and then we'll go walk around this wonderful land that you promised us. This might seem like a stretch. You might be like, no, I would have believed him and I would have went. I don't know if I would have. I'm not that great. Like, I look at my own life and I ask so many questions and I'm always like, well, Lord, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to see proof. I'd like to see, confirm this. And I love this little glimpse. We wonder with all of Abram's misbehavior how he got to Hebrews 11 as by faith Abraham. We're starting to see now, is there, no, is there doubt coming? Can I get an amen? There's doubt coming for Abram. He goes through some doubt, some unbelief. But in this moment, I love this, no kids promise descendants and a nation. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. Lord, let's rein this in a little. How about a couple kids? Dust of the earth? I mean, we think about there's a lot of dust here. Imagine if all of our roads and paths were dust. Whoa. Um, we don't have any descendants now, and you want to do the dust of the earth descendants. Okay? Abram moved his tent, built an altar to the Lord. I believe you. I believe you. I'm going to do what you say because I believe you. You say do, I will do because I believe you. Now, this promise was reiterated before even Ishmael was born to Hagar. At this point in the story, Abram was without any offspring, legitimate or otherwise. It was just Abram and his barren wife. Aside from the truth that it was Almighty God making the promise, which like, I realize that sounds kind of like, well, yeah, but it was God. I realize that. But aside from that, in the natural, where Abram was dwelling, he had real dust, real camels, real tents, real hot, real cold, real thirst. This was not Superman Abram. This was regular Abram. The natural odds were against Abram and Sarah. The odds were they were going to have no children. Up to this point, we have passed all of the windows where it is naturally probable for her to have kids. And we've seen nothing supernatural in her life at this point, in their lives at this point. This is just God promising them something and telling them, go look around this wonderful land. I'm going to give it to you and all your kids. Descendants after you. Okay, we'll pick up our stuff and go. As a believer today, the title of this morning's message is Against All Odds. And I look at Abram's story. We're not doing an exhaustive study this morning of Abram's life. We're looking at a few things and how against the odds his life was. 
You, th- you think, well, I, I ask you, do we do odds in this? Like, do you, I could ask you one-on-one, say, well, do you do odds or do you do just whatever God says we do it? I tend towards odds. I'm just, like, in the natural, I tend towards, well, the odds are. Well, the odds are. And we look at things and we, we, you might think subconsciously you might participate in the odds game. You may sit here and think, I'm a believing believer, and I believe that you are. But subconsciously, we may do the odds thing. And the odds were against Abram in this moment. And what we see all through Abram's life, this is a side point, and it may be where we park and stay today. But <clears throat> I want to read Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to kind of separate just a moment from this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing as I go childless? Here we go. Now, I can relate to this dude. What will you give me, seeing as I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. In other words, not my kid. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one, this Eleazar of Damascus, will not be your heir. But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look towards the heavens. Count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. He believed in the Lord and he the Lord accounted it to Abram for righteousness. Then he said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. You see, if you keep going in this story, we see in Genesis 16 the story of Abram and Hagar. He took matters into his own hands, and we've looked at that in depth here. We're not going to park there today. We look at the story of where he's like, well, he said it was going to be my kid. You know, maybe it's through Hagar. We'll go that route. Then in, verse, in chapter 17 is when God changes his name from Abram to Abraham, father of many nations. And God reiterates his covenant to Abram following his natural attempt. I do want to draw a little thing out there, and this kind of tees into where we're going. Abram took matters into his own hands with Hagar. And he had Ishmael. This was his natural effort. Well, God said this. Maybe I'm not doing something right. Hallelujah. I can relate to that. Maybe God promised me this. I wonder if I'm not doing it right. Why don't I do something different? And he does this. Misbehavior has a kid. And what does God do? This is... This is misbehavior. This is the first time we really see where Abram's like, okay, what can I do to make this happen? And now what we would think, based on what we see happen in Scripture or happen in this story, what we see is the Lord God should meet with Abraham and punish him. You've misbehaved. You've doubted. I will smack you. I will punish you. Don't do that anymore. Maybe even, this could be a stretch, but just think about this. Maybe even say, look, you are not the guy I thought you were. Covenant revoked. 
Maybe, like, I understand we don't have the same concept of covenant that they had, but maybe at that point it's like, listen, you're not, you're just doing this all on your own. You're not, this is not how this works. Revoking of the covenant would be a possibility if I was calling the shots on this story. But what does God do? In chapter 17, he reiterates his covenant to Abram. Changes his name to Abraham and says, you're going to be the father of many nations. I chose you. I'll make you great. I'll make a nation out of you that'll bless all the nations in all the world. And he's foretelling the Messiah coming. Genesis 18, God details the promise about Isaac. Sarah laughs when she overhears God promising them a son. In chapter 17, Abraham laughs. We always remember Sarah laughing. They both laughed about it. Just a chapter, there was a few verses between it, so it's just like we just remember. It's kind of like we only remember that Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's like Adam ate too. <laughs> Abraham laughed too. So they laugh. It's like, I don't know if this is, it's kind of like incredulous, like we're going we're gonna to have a kid now. This would have been easier 25 years ago. Abraham laughed. God promised his son. God details the promise about Isaac and Sarah laughs. Genesis chapter 21, we see that Isaac is born 25 years after Abram left Haran for Canaan at the ripe age of 100. Against all odds, God fulfilled his promise. Sarah was old and barren, and I use this in quotes, enough. Abraham was old enough that any child that would come to them could be nothing short of God fulfilling his promise. A miracle. Now, I want to circle back. We've, we've read several instances of God reminding Abram or Abraham of his promise. And as I was sitting with this this morning, I kept getting the word reminding reminding. God kept reminding Abraham. No, no. I promised you this. No, no, no. I promised you this. I promised you this. I am the Lord God, and I promised you this. You see, when we look at this story and we look for the Messiah, what do we see? We see long-suffering. We see a God whose heart is for reminding over and over and over of his promise. We see, there's, like I said, there's layers of application in this. We see laid out a type and a shadow of how the prophetic operated with regards to the Messiah. Amen. Does everybody see that? We see that little by little, God kept prophesying, God kept prophesying, God kept prophesying, and then eventually Isaac was born. The prophets continued to prophesy. The prophets continued to prophesy. And at the fullness of time, the Savior is born. There is a part of it that is that. The thing that I really saw drawn out for me this morning, and I just want to share it, is Jesus, the heart of Jesus we see in this reminding. Reminding. Always willing to remind Abram, Abraham of his promise. I know I'm going to make, you know what? Why don't I change your name? You're not getting it up to this point. Let's in, that's, I'm adding that in there. Don't, it's not in your Bible that God says, I'll, you're not getting it. I'm just, read this actively and you see over and over and over, 
God reminds Abram, no, 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 I'll make you the father of many nations. I'll make you the, I, I've chosen you. I'm going to make, I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm going to bless all. Oh you, oh, you didn't believe me, but I'll make you a nation. I'm going to, listen, trust me. And he kept reminding him. He kept reminding him over and over and over. Abraham was reminded of God's promise. One of the most difficult things that we ever do in this life is believe something we don't see. And we think in our day and age today that everything has to be instant. We live in an instant gratification world. And I see glimpses, little, little bits of this seeping and creeping their way into the church. We, put, we tend to, we tend to put a higher value on the things that we see instantly. They've got it figured out. They saw it right away. That person has it figured out. They saw it right away. They prayed in it moment. They saw it. They're better than me. They're doing something better than me. And I just want to, I want to, I want to highlight for us this morning. This is big for us as a church, for us as believers today, to become comfortable trusting God. To become comfortable trusting him. Jesus said, blessed are you, you have seen. How much more blessed those who believe and have yet not seen. I'm not worshiping not seeing things. That's not the point at all. I want to elevate believing God this morning. Above anything, we believe Jesus more than anything we see around us. And again, we tend towards the instant gratification, the things that we see right away. It's like, that's, that's probably better. That's a little more. And how blessed is it to just believe him? See, we see, you know, the Bible says that a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day to God. And we see the breadth of our lives as this great big long thing. We could be here for 90 years or a hundred years. And Paul's like, it's a mist or a vapor. I, I, I love the picture, and I've, we've talked about this before, but I just want to draw this out. Some of you can relate to this personally. Some of you maybe have seen pictures of it. But I have an alfalfa field behind my house. And in the summertime, when it's time to make alfalfa is when there's a lot of moisture and whatnot. And uh, you see, in the morning, I get up at just the right time, you'll see this haze across that field of alfalfa. It's just a fog. It's not real thick. It's and sometimes it's not real dense. It's not always there. But it's there, and I'll be filling my, the, our kitchen sink looks out towards this field. And I'll be filling my coffee cup, and I see that the, it's like foggy or whatever. And I put the coffee pot back, and I stick it in the thing, and I look up, and it's burned off. It's just gone. It's here. And it's like, wow, look at how foggy it is. And then in a moment, it burns off. And that's the thing I always think of when Paul talks about our life is just but a vapor. We're just here and we're gone. It's just a moment and then we're not here anymore. And in that, it, is it such a thing for us to decide to believe God for the entirety of our lives without ever seeing some of it? There are things that we see. Thank you, Jesus, for the things that we see. Faith is built oftentimes when we see things. The ability to trust him is built when we see things. It's not the point. 
to see things. The point is to believe him. You see, I see Jesus in this story. I see Jesus willing to remind us who we are over and over and over, meeting us where we are. We lose hope in people quick, don't we? I do. It's like, well, man, they blew it. I lose hope in people. I pray for somebody. Man, I prayed for somebody one time for a whole year. And I thought that was something. I dialogued with the Lord a handful of times about praying for this individual. It's like, Lord, where are you at? I have been seeking you. I have been praying for this individual. And 12 months goes by. And our relationship got worse. And I'm like, I don't know if I have. This is a long deal for me, Lord. I don't know if I've got another year in me for this. And in these moments, the Lord always just gently reminds me of 25 years. Gave Abraham a promise. Abram a promise. And then 25 years later, he's got his son. We get into these moments where it's like, I, I I don't have the patience for this guy. We do, because he has it with us. All of this Everything that we see in this story, we see little bits more of the shadow of the Messiah willing to remind Abraham, willing to endure Abraham laughing. It's like, I don't, I don't know if we're going to have a kid. And Sarah laughing, and it's like, no, no, you will. Man, if that was me, if that was you, if we were in that situation, and it's like, he laughed, and now she laughed, like, I don't think we should. I don't know that he should have a kid. Obviously, they don't believe us right now. And in that moment, what is, it's like, no, he just calmly reminds them, confidently reassures them, no, you're going to have a son. It's, it's going to work out. You'll have a son. I realize that everybody, we're all laughing about this. Just hide and watch. To be pregnant. I have a son. And then, Filter this whole story of laughing and doubting and unbelief and fear. There's a tremendous couple of stories of Abraham, like, we're talking walking in serious fear. Like, you know what? She's not my wife. She's my sister. Because I don't want to die. Like, what if I died? Wait a second. In, in that story, the story, there's a, there's a it's in uh, Genesis chapter 12, you see Abram in Egypt, and there's this family goes down there, and he lies about Sarah. What happened to believing God? Because if you believe that God's going to make you a nation, and it's just you and your wife at this point, apparently the Lord's got more to do. They're probably not going to kill you. But in that moment, the natural, everything in the natural was so loud that he, he did something that sometimes maybe you do, I know I do. He made a split-second decision to operate in fear and unbelief. In the moment, I think this is going to be best for us. Let's do fear and unbelief for this round. And then we'll believe God the next time. And in that moment, you don't see, again, we don't see the Lord like promise revoked. No, it's reminded. Promise reminded. I got to make provision for you again, Abram. That's okay. I'll do it. I'll make provision for you. You can come out of here blessed. I love this, the picture that we see when you read this story, when you study this story out, we see 
Jesus. We see long-suffering. We see a willingness to remind us of our promise. Maybe you're here today and you don't feel or maybe haven't really needed reminding of God's promises. I'm here today and I want to just testify I've needed reminded often of God's promises. Sometimes it comes in the form of a scripture sent from one of you guys. Sometimes it's a phone call. Sometimes it's a word of prayer from somebody directly into my heart and I'm reminded. The Holy Spirit uses each of our words as a body to minister to each other, to remind us of the promises of God. If you follow this story out into the New Testament, we see in Galatians chapter four, Paul's articulating another layer of the application here. I'm just gonna read 30, or 21 through 31 of Galatians chapter four. We're gonna make a couple of points on it and we'll be wrapping up this morning. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, that's Ishmael by Hagar, the other one by a free woman, that's his wife Sarah, But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. Everybody understands that, that Abram and Hagar were naturally able to conceive. That was a natural event. According to the flesh, but of the free woman through promise. They weren't able to conceive. So it was the promise of God that allowed that conception, that made that conception take place. Which things, verse 24, are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. Verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout. You who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Verse 28, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, and the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. There's a bazillion things we can look at in there. All we're skimming off of the top of that is what we see Ishmael was a result of man's efforts to fulfill God's promise. The law is our efforts to obtain or fulfill God's promise. It's a direct correlating. Correlates perfectly that the law is our efforts to obtain God's promise. You see, people, when we get wrapped up, when we as humans get wrapped up in law-keeping and behavioral modifications, we get wrapped up in that stuff. Who are we trusting in? But we're, I want to make note here, we're, we're just like Abram. You know, Abram wasn't out running around with a prostitute. It wasn't like, I don't know, it wasn't him following just his carnal desires. He was seeking the Lord's promise. We, we leave that out of the story a lot, but he's a, I got this promise from God. Obviously, it's not happening here at home with the wife. So this is, he was not, it wasn't, well, I don't know, I just want to have kids. 
It was, God gave me this promise. I'm seeking to fulfill God's promise. The same can be said when we get wrapped up in behavior stuff. We're trying to, I want to receive more from God. I'm going to behave more, and I'll receive more. Who are we trusting in? Ourselves. It's like us and Hagar trying to make this happen. In the flesh, this could work. But Isaac was the result of God fulfilling his own promise. I love that. God fulfills his own promises. We get wrapped up. We're, I'll fulfill your promise, God. Well, I appreciate that, but I'll take care of it from here. It's like, no, God will fulfill his own promise. And Isaac is the result. The gospel is God himself fulfilling his own promise to us. That's the gospel, church. Jesus is God fixing the whole situation. Our only price to pay, our only participation in this gospel is to believe him. And as you believe him, as I believe him, as we grow to believe him more and more and more, our whole life begins to shift and change. It always does. It absolutely always does. When we become wrapped up in the gospel, in God's goodness, through Jesus poured out into our lives, it changes everything in your life. We can't interact with people the same anymore. We can't because it's God fulfilling his own promise. He already did it. He fulfilled it. I can't fulfill it. I can try. I can behavior, 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 and I can do pretty good. We can do pretty good for a while, can't we? You know what I've learned, though, is if we're doing pretty good on our own with anything, if we're on our own doing pretty good, the only thing that does to us is we fall harder and we fall further when we fall. That's the real truth. When we're on our own, when we're doing the Hagar and Ishmael life, all that does is we fall harder and we fall further when we fall. The gospel is God himself fulfilling his promise. And as that begins to change us, we talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 being transformed into the image and the likeness. When that takes place in our lives, when that happens in our lives like that, beholding the Messiah, your life changes, and it changes gracefully. He changes it. He changes us from the inside out. And it's a cliche thing. In 2022, when you say the word inside in church, everyone says out. Because we've learned the church words, inside out. But it's a truth when the Spirit of God changes you on the inside, it's little by little stuff begins to be broken off. And what, the thing that I want to encourage, one of the things, I've said that a few, few times this morning, one of the things that I really feel the Lord encouraging us in is to rest and trust and be patient in the process. It's so easy to get wrapped up in instant gratification. It's like, Lord, if you're gonna change me, I need you to change me by tonight. I would like to see it by tonight or tomorrow morning. I could do tomorrow morning if that works. It's, it's oftentimes it's years. Sometimes it's moments, but oftentimes it's years. We renew our mind to what Jesus did, not renew our mind to how we need to try harder. Renew our mind to what Jesus did. Let our gaze be fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You see, we like to see Jesus as the author and then we be the finisher. 
Jesus, you be the author. Man, you started this great. I, watch what I do with it. And inevitably, it's like the, the plane takes off. Jesus is flying. We take the wheel and boom. We're not doing, we don't do well on our own. We don't do well on our own. But you know, church, we have the tremendous privilege and honor to become partakers in this promise. To believe God. When we believe God, we become commissioned and we have the opportunity to carry this gospel to the lost. People who are lost on Mount Sinai and people who are lost in this world. We all know people that are wrapped up walking around Sinai. Wrapped up in, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a little bit better and I'll get something from God for being a little bit better. And I'll fix my life so that God loves me more. And I'll behave my way into God's approval. It is poison. It's poison. Jesus did everything. We believe. Our part is to believe and rest. It is a privilege and an honor to be a partaker in this great promise. And I, I, can't, I cannot emphasize enough how that promise looked in Abraham's life. He tried everything on his own. And Jesus comes along and it's, like I, a while ago in this morning I said, it was against all odds. It was to the point in their life that if they was to have a child, there was no way we were pointing to anything but Jesus. It was at that point, it wasn't like, you know, because if it had been 25 years earlier and the Lord appears and he's like, I'm gonna make you the father of many nations and gives him all these promises and then nine months later he has a kid, it's like, oh my, that was maybe us. Like maybe it just took this amount of time and then it was us. But at 100, you get to like 90 and I, you know, I don't know. It's not going to be probably you. It's not going to be probably us. And this is, I love this, this, another aspect of the law. The law brings us to the point where it's like, look, if we're going to be right with God, it's got to be him. It gets us to the point, if we walk in righteousness, it's him. If we behave better, it's him. If our life looks different, it ain't us because we tried it. We went round and round and up and down and all the way around Sinai and we're still building golden calves. We still tend toward, but when we get to a certain point, it's like it's gotta be him. Sarah and Abraham had no, there was no recourse in this story. They couldn't go and write their memoirs when they get to the end of their life, sit down and say, and you know, we figured out how to have a child on our own. <laughs> There's, we started taking these certain supplements and then this happened and then we tried this and we just, and, it, and you know, they couldn't do it at that point. They were past that. 25 years earlier, they could have made a case that maybe it was them. But it wasn't. At their age, at their point in time in life, there was no reason for Isaac except the promise of God. For us today, there is no reason we stand before the Father except Jesus, the promise. We are partakers in that promise and we are equally as helpless, equally as barren to produce righteousness as Sarah was to produce a child. 
That's where we, we have, if we're gonna be right with God, it's him. It has to be Jesus. The author, and I remind you again, the finisher of our faith. This is good news. I can't stop smiling. This is the best news. You're right with God, and it's not because of you. Just believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. This morning, as we prepare to leave, I'd, I'd like to ask you to stand. I, wanna, I would like to declare this over us. So if you would join us and stand this morning. As we leave Revelation Rock this morning, we do so with a spring in our step and the joy of the Lord in our hearts. Hearts that are full of thanksgiving for Jesus the Christ and this new covenant that we are partakers in. We believe that in Christ Jesus we are blessed and highly favored, blessed in the city and blessed in the country, coming in and now as we go out. We thank you, Father, for the light of the word of God, that in your word we see your face and we hear your voice. Here at the Rock, here at the Rock we believe in strong biblical families. We believe that right is still right and wrong is still wrong and that the agape love of Jesus covers a multitude of sin. We take you at your word and we believe that in Christ Jesus we have become the righteousness of God and as such we may go out with the boldness of a lion carrying the message of salvation to our generation. Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for your spirit, for your word. Pray a blessing over this family, this body as we go from this place. Father, I just pray boldness I declare boldness to proclaim the gospel. That as we leave this place, we're not beaten down by the world telling us that's not politically correct. But that we carry our heads high knowing that we are the righteousness of God created in Christ Jesus unto all good works. Thank you so much for anointing us to this ministry of reconciliation. We can draw people back with this gospel Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in his name and all God's people that amen. Have a wonderful week.